In today's show, we're going to be talking 2022 NBA draft with Sam Ferris of the Draft Dummies and Locked On NBA Big Board. We've got Dyson Daniels, we've got Keegan Murray coming up. We've also got Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. As I said, we're going to be talking NBA draft today. But I've got a quick favor to ask you. In order to make this podcast and other podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network better, we have a quick survey that we would like you to do. So head to LockedOnPodcasts.com slash survey and get started. It doesn't take very long. And everyone who completes the survey gets in with a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. So go to LockedOnPodcasts, with an S at the end, dot com slash survey. Thanks a lot for your help. So let's transition in. We're going to talk... Six prospects, and we're going to do it with Sam Ferris. Let's get him in here. All right, so here he is, one of the hosts of the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. You may follow him already on Twitter, at Draft Dummies. Sam Ferris is here. Sam, welcome uh, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So we've got a few draft prospects we're going to talk about, and as I'm going to do with, with the draft analysts that come on to the show, we're going to talk, and we're going to start talking um, about guys or a, one player that they seem to be higher on than the general consensus of people who are covering the NBA draft. And for you, Sam, we're going to go to Nebraska. We're going to go to the guard from Nebraska, Bryce McGowans. All right, I don't know a huge amount about Bryce. So tell me, why are you high on him? Yeah, so a couple of things. Again, this is higher than the consensus. So you'll see him on most mock drafts going anywhere from 20 to probably 35 maybe 40 and i have him a couple spots higher i think I'm, i have him 15 on my board so anywhere from 10 to 15 high, spots higher than the consensus he's a 6-6 guard um out of nebraska was a freshman last year that played for frankly a nebraska team that was not very good um but in terms of the biggest positives for him as a prospect an elite foul drawer, uh, got to the rim and to the free throw line a ton. Um, and he's a good athlete with good size at 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, in shoes, and a very skilled slasher. Just kind of has a little bit of it, a little bit of that skill around the basket that separates himself from other guards. Uh, but again, gets to the free throw line a ton, which is a good sign. The question with him, and it's a question with a, a lot of prospects that we analyze every year that swing skill of the jumper you know to what extent does the three-point range in the nba come around for him will kind of determine his career yeah because he shot what 27 percent 
last season. Um, took almost yeah. five attempts per game in his 33 minutes, but was, an ex- as you said, an excellent foul drawer, almost a 50% free throw attempt rate, and hit those at 83%, which we've seen over the yeah. years that can be a pretty good indicator in terms of improving three-point shooting. What was he like as a three-point shooter before college? Was he known as a shooter? This is just a down season for him across those 31 games, or has it always been something he struggled with? So this is part of the reason I am higher on him is I do believe in the jumper. You pointed to the free throw percentage at like 83%. And so I kind of did a query looking back over college basketball, recent history for guys that have taken like a decent volume of free throw attempts and shot above like 81, 82% as a freshman, literally all of the guys that have done that end up being good shooters in the NBA. He shot well on floaters. He shot well from the free throw line. And like, I just buy that touch with him. And if you watch the games too, because you have to take into account the context, Nebraska, not that good. He had to take a lot of kind of bailout shots, a lot of self-created threes, even at the end of shot clock that kind of did pull down his percentage. So I think, you know, when he plays a role in the NBA, when he could take some more catch and shoot, and obviously the three-point jumper is something that you can just practice, right, with reps more than any other skill. That's kind of the reason I'm higher on him is I love the rest of his offensive game, and I'm just a little bit higher on the potential of that three-point shot coming along. What about defensively? Can he hold up? Is he going to be a target like a Trey Young, Tyler Hero style of defensive target for other teams, or can he at least hold up on that end? Yeah, that's, that's the hope. Um, the starting point with him, because like you said, in the NBA, we see it in the playoffs, certain guys can get hunted, but like a lot of times in the NBA, it's kind of like the appearance of being a defender. And so the hope with him is being 6'6", six, six, you know, 6'7", uh, that, yeah, he might not be a great defender early on, but with the size, I don't think he's going to be the first guy that teams are going to be necessarily picking on like in their scouting report and so with that size that kind of gives me a little bit more comfort with him compared to a lot of the other smaller combo guards in this class because uh, we can talk about that but this class is filled with combo guards and so that's kind of part of the reason that a lot of these guys are slipping whether it's a Ty Ty Washington a Jaden Hardy a Bryce McGowan's a Blake Wesley like there's kind of a logjam of just a lot of those guys but I value his size on the defensive end compared to kind of the rest of those guys. So you mentioned a bunch of those guys. Plus there's those guys who will be ahead of him like Johnny Davis and and Benny Matherin, those sort of players. Like what's the separation to you between him and say Davis and Matherin who are sort of grouped together at that late lottery type area? So those two guys are better defensively. Um, so that's why I have them higher. Johnny Davis, I have the highest or I have Matherin higher and then Davis Matherin, the shooting is not the question mark with him. He can already shoot it. He can shoot it coming off screens, off of movement. Showed that at Arizona. And he showed a little bit of an improvement in the pick and roll game, which is big for him. So, plus he's got similar size to McGowan's. And then Johnny Davis, better all around, rebounder, defender. So, even if the jumper doesn't come along, I like those ancillary aspects of his game. But McGowan's to me is better than a couple of those other guys because of the elite slashing ability, the foul drawing, and the size. We're going to talk Keegan Murray in a second. Um, But before we do that, of course, Sam, it's time for me to talk about Bilt Bar. And be honest with me, 
have, are you one of those people who have been asking Built Bar for a granola bar? Because if if you have, well, your prayers have been answered. Did you did you send him an email and ask for a granola bar? <laughs> uh, I did not, but I would be happy to get one of them myself. So apparently, plenty of people have been asking. It's been their most requested thing. Give us a granola bar. Give us a granola bar, and they've come through. They listen to the people, and they have made a granola bar. It is only 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, and just four grams of sugar. And like all of their Built Bars. It is covered in 100% real chocolate. These granola bars, they've got three flavors, chocolate peanut butter, chocolate coconut, and white chocolate berry. You can get a mixed, back, a mixed box of the uh, granola bars as well to get all those three flavors to try them. But instead of going to get your standard granola bar, why don't you get one that's low in sugar, low in calories, and high in protein? Knock off all of those requirements that you might have when you're looking for a healthy snack. Built Bar has it. And of course, you can get these for 15% off. If you head to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off your order. Built Bar is... Built different. All right, let's talk about who I just mentioned. And this is a player that you are lower on than consensus. Keegan Murray out of Iowa, who is uh, an older prospect, even though he is only a a sophomore. Um, Projected to go in the top five to seven of the draft. What is your... I won't say skepticism, but why are you lower on him than, uh, I guess, the majority of people? That's a good question. So you you started by hitting on one of my main points, which is older for his class. I do value youth. If you look at the history of the draft, you'll see that the younger, the better. You look at the development trajectories. That's just an important factor. And so when you take that into account, he's going to be 22 years old when he starts his first game uh, as a rookie in the NBA. And like we can talk about whether that matters or not, but when you look at other guys in the lottery, like a Jalen Duran, for example, almost like three and a half years younger than him, that frankly just does make a big difference. Um, in terms of like the on-the-court product, I do like Keegan Murray quite a bit. Uh, I have him like 11. So yes, I am lower than on him, certainly than the consensus. We'll start with the defensive side of the ball because in the playoffs, we see the value of defensively versatile wings. And frankly, at this point, I don't think that's super likely for him. I see him more as a one position defender kind of at the four in the modern NBA. So that takes a little bit of value away from him. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I think, again, you have to take into account the context. And at Iowa, they kind of always, if you watch college basketball, always have a really high-powered offense, mediocre defense. But the way they tilt their offense is to kind of towards one star player. Because if you remember the year before Keegan Murray, uh, it was Luka Garza. And that's kind of how they roll. They They get one guy a lot of stats, a lot of numbers and possessions. And they feature him. And so Keegan Murray looked great. And I think he is a good player offensively. But one other point I'll make is if you look at the synergy profile breakdown, it's interesting because he ended up so many possessions classified as post-ups. And so what he did was either just post up smaller players and use kind of the size advantage and strength advantage or his drives on like size players 
he's not that explosive, so he kind of just takes a while to make a move and ends up in almost a post-up in all of his drive situations. The point is that he just doesn't have great athleticism, and the attacks that he make tend to take a while. I just don't think that style of attack is necessarily going to be as effective when he's not the primary focus of an NBA offense. And so I don't see any one main strength with him, and I don't see the defensive versatility. That combined with the fact that he's already 22 years old, to me that's a later end of the lottery prospect as opposed to a top five guy. A couple of things with him is like, the defensive numbers in terms of just blocks and steals are high. 1.9 blocks, 1.3 steals, which for fantasy is, is huge. We look at those numbers, go, that translates really well. But are, are they are they fake blocks and steals? Is he going to have any sort of ability to produce at that level at an NBA, uh, on an NBA team and an NBA rotation? It feels a little fake to me. It does feel a little bit fake to me as well. I just, I don't see the pop or the athleticism to be, able to be able to slide across multiple positions. So that's a point of a little bit of weakness for me. I think you'll find people that might disagree on that, but I think I'm in agreement with you both in terms of, I don't see the steals and blocks being necessarily indicative of something that's going to translate that effectively to the next level. And then I don't see the switchability on the perimeter to high level uh, like in terms of like a playoff matchup at the next level either. The other thing with him is, and we, we talk age and people are like, yeah, but there's plenty of older players who have some success. But you know, we talk about a guy who's 22 and the end of his rookie contract, he's going to be 26. And then yeah, you give him a four-year extension, he's already past prime. Like he's 30, 31. Like yeah. that, that's done. Um, the question I have with these sort of players is, okay, if he was this good to be a top five player, why didn't he come out as a freshman? Well, he played 18 minutes a night. He took five shots a game. He averaged, what did he average here? Like seven points per game. What's the difference between his freshman season when he was still, you know, 20? So he wasn't even particularly young as a freshman. What changed between him being a freshman and a sophomore? Was it literally the fact, well, Luca Garza was there and he couldn't beat out Luca Garza to be the best player on the team, which again gives me pause how it moves into the next level? Yeah, I think that is certainly part of it. And the funny thing is, to your point, is uh, he was one of my favorite under the radar returners i was higher on him than consensus but then since he's blown up to where he is now it's funny because i was higher now i'm a little bit lower so i did see a little bit of this blow up coming but i have to admit the numbers that he did end up putting were pretty ridiculous but like you said they had luca garza to soak up all the possessions last year they had a very veteran laden team last year and so he just didn't really get those reps or that opportunity and frankly, they were already really good offensively when he was a freshman anyway. So it's not like they were going to bump the older guys down the ladder to to suit him. So I did see some of this coming, but the offensive production was really good. But your point to me is well taken. It's one I use that, you know, if he was the level of player that we think he is, because we have to categorize him with players of his own age. So because he's dominating college basketball at age 22, well, imagine Paulo Boncaro, a similar player in the ACC like three years from now when he's 22. That's kind of the frame of mind that you have to look at this through. Yeah, exactly. And think about it. I can't think of the top of my head, but players in the NBA who are 22, like I think that's, yeah, Trey Young and what Doncic is 23, maybe like that's, yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's a big, big difference between, um, yeah, those guys who come in at 18, 19, even 20 versus being 22. Let's, 
go on to the next guy. And this is a guy who had a really, really good combine and has risen up a lot of boards and seems to be getting a lot of buzz. And that's Jalen Williams, a 21-year-old 6'6 wing from Santa Clara, who, um, again, not many people really had in this discussion as a first-round guy maybe a couple of months ago, but the uh, the combine numbers really uh, worked in his favor. What can you tell us about him? Do you believe that this... First of all, did the combine change your opinion on him? Were you already high on him? Were you already low on him? What's your thought on where Jalen Williams sits now after these numbers have come out? Yeah, so it's a, it's a combination of all that stuff. He has been one of the biggest risers and yeah he he came in got measured ended up being like a legit six 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 seven with long arms and he just kind of has a really nice all-around game but as someone that had already watched him a decent amount i didn't move him too much i did move him up a few spots so i had him end of the first round coming into uh the combine and all that stuff a few weeks ago moved him up i think i've got him like in the 20 to 25 range now but there's talk of him going lottery, yeah. which is just a little bit rich for me personally. Uh, I do like a lot about his game at the size that he plays at. And, you know, as opposed to some of the other combo-ish guard type players we talked about, the jumper isn't as much of a question. He shot 40% from three last year. And I also like to break it down by, you know, pull up versus catch and shoot. And I think he's going to be able to take more catch and shoot jumpers in the NBA and last year shot over 46% on catch and shoot jumpers. So really, really well there. Um, but there is a little bit of worry with the small sample size shooting because you go back one year for him and he shot only 27% from three. And so that's kind of the trick with these older upperclassmen is uh, how much of that is small sample? How much is real improvement? And I'm kind of in the middle personally on that. And that's why I have him more kind of mid but later first round as opposed to a lottery pick. Yeah, like he shot 35% as a freshman, 27% as a sophomore, then 40% last season. I guess the thing you could look at is the free throw percentage has been solid enough, 76, 76, and then 81 last year. So he's been a solid free throw shooter, showed some improvement there. One thing that will be important, I think, with him, and I want to get your take on this, is you look at that he averaged over four assists per game um, with a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. Is he a guy that can do any work NBA level creating, handling, running pick and roll, or is that just a a uh, a, a fact of, of the team he was on and the environment that he was in? Is you know he gets those assists just because he handled the ball that much, and they sort of aren't going to be able to translate that skill across to the NBA. Yeah, I'd say it's like pretty unlikely that he ends up being like an NBA team's absolute primary on-ball guy. But how many guys really are there like that in the NBA, right? I think his ability to play off of a star, but also help with some ball handling duties is kind of what makes him attractive. Plus the size with, you know, 6'6", with the the long wingspan as well. But to your point with the passing, uh, one thing, one stat I looked up that's pretty interesting is You know, I don't want to read too much too often into like plus minus net rating in one college season. But for him on his team, it really stuck out because for him, he had a plus 20 net rating, which was way higher than anybody else on his team. When you dig into the stats, when he wasn't on the floor, the offense fell off a cliff. They were like 13 points per 100 worse when he was off the court. 
And, you know, that makes sense. He's playing for Santa Clara. Not a ton of high-end talent there. But he was able to prop that offense up in college. I don't see him, again, as a primary guy. But, again, the point is, I think he's kind of attractive to teams as the ability to help on the ball, but also play off the ball, shoot it with some size. In terms of, you know, looking at guys who are wing size and their passing ability, I would, correct me if I'm wrong here, I would say that his passing ability is better than Jalen Brown when he came into the NBA, but maybe worse than where Jalen Brown is now. Uh, it's it's certainly better than where Brown was coming in, and I don't even think Jalen Brown is that great right now no, as a playmaker. So it's similar. Uh, we'll see what happens and what role Jalen Williams is used in when he comes into the league. I will say, though, that a lot of the creation that happens in the NBA is like athleticism-based. And while Jalen Williams, he's not an explosive athlete, he is smooth, but he's not going to be creating advantages in isolation like a Jalen Brown can do. Let's go to the next guy. Another um, wing-sized prospect, which again, I think are going to be in pretty high demand in this draft, and that's David Roddy. A 6'6 wing, um, Colorado State. He's a little bit older as well. He's just turned 21 a couple of months ago. A junior from Colorado State as as a wing player. He averaged 19 points per game. He shot an astonishing 44% from three, but 69% from the line. So we have this discussion all the time. Which one of these is real? Is he a good shooter or is he a shooter that got lucky on sample size this year and his free throw shooting tells us more about where he lies uh, in the NBA? Yeah, it's a boring uh, answer, but I'd say somewhere in the middle. But the way that I'd hedge that is that I don't necessarily view him as a wing. I kind of view him more as like a big or like a four like think more of like the Grant Williams type player. And the reason is because if you watched him at Colorado State, you'll know that he's built like a brick house. Like he is super, super strong, but has the, he's 6'6", so really strong, but has that long wingspan at like 6'11 and a half. So kind of he's, I'm not saying he's not going to be Draymond Green at all, but kind of got that body type with like the stocky build, the long arms, where you hope he can provide just a little rim protection but also switch across multiple positions that's kind of the big sales pitch with him and then that you know if he's playing the four or five the other team's not going to have one of their better defenders on him but can he hit enough open threes like we've seen with grant williams where the bucks kind of left him they're like you can beat us if he makes threes and grant williams made enough and frankly i i think he's good enough to do that i don't think again he's not quite the level of player of Grant Williams, certainly not Draymond Green, but just in that archetype of a player with uh, those tools defensively that can play the four, maybe even in spurts, try to play a little of that small ball five due to his strength and then hit open threes offensively. Because he's got that, that's that, I guess, reverse problem is it? he shot 44% this year, but last year he shot 28%. But last year he also shot 79% from the line. So you'd look at his numbers last year and go, oh, okay, well, he shot well from the line. Maybe he can be a better three-point shooter. And then he did become a better three-point shooter and became a worse free-throw shooter. So it's sort of a little bit all over the place. But the free-throw, also the three-point shooting, is, is relatively low volume. Like he only made one and a half a game this season at 0.7 per game last year. But he's played pretty decent minutes across all three seasons there for Colorado State. And yeah, it's probably more of a second-round prospect, would you say, Sam? Yeah, I'd say probably anywhere from like 45 
honestly, through the end of the draft. Once you get past a certain point, it's kind of team's preference. Going to see more international guys come off the board, so it's hard to predict, but I would say I'd be surprised if he goes in the first round. Let's go to the top end of the draft, and let's talk about a guy from the G League Ignite, my mate from down here, Dyson Daniels, a 6'7 guard who is naturally going to get comparisons to Josh Giddy because they are tall point guards and LaMelo Ball as a tall point guard who played in Australia. He's not LaMelo Ball. He's not even Josh Giddy, but that's the comparison that's going to be out there. So let's do the Giddy one first here. Hey, these are 6'7", six, 6'8 six, Australian point guards. What's the difference between them? Uh, pretty sizable difference. The funny thing is, if you were to pair them together, that would be an awesome backcourt. But Josh Giddy is the playmaker. He's got absolutely elite vision, can pass it with both hands. He's the, the guy that can play on the ball and set anybody else up. Not an elite athlete, but just does have that high-end thinking ability, that feel, plus the size to, to play on the ball in the NBA level and proved it as a rookie. Um, but Dyson Daniels is more of a supporting offensive player. Uh, like almost think of like a, maybe a Lonzo Ballish role where he's playing a little bit more off the ball, can attack seams when a, an advantage is created or hit open shots. Uh, good passer as well, but not necessarily a guy that's going to be creating all the advantages himself. But the selling point is defensively. And so I was able to interview his coach in the G League, Jason Hart. He believes, Jason Hart believes, immediately he's going to be able to switch one through four. And he kind of gave me a little bit of a deep dive comparison. He said defensively, a guy he reminds him of, uh, going back a few years, is Tabo Cephalosha, a guy that was kind of uh, that defensive stopper for those uh, early Thunder teams a couple years back. And so that defensive versatility with the ability to be a good complementary player at 6-7, he's now listed as like 6-8. And so, you know, maybe he even continues to grow a little bit. Uh, that's kind of the sales pitch with Dyson Daniels. The Lonzo Ball comparison is really interesting because like Lonzo Ball, he never gets to the free throw line or he didn't at all last year. He had a free throw rate of under 14%, which is really low, but he hit them at an okay number. He also hit 26% only of his threes. Now, Lonzo's worked really hard to become a very, very good three-point shooter and his three-point attempt rate is through the roof and he hits them at a really good level, but that wasn't always the case for him, so he's got a little bit of work to do there, but good block rate for a guard, good, really good steal rate, really good rebound rate, um, solid assist numbers, um, not a high scorer necessarily, but a guy that can work really well defensively, can can work out of position to provide those rebounds and provide a little bit of passing. But it's that defense that's really important. And as I've talked about on this show a lot over the last week, you know, switchability, when you head into the deeper, deeper rounds of the NBA playoffs, becomes super important. The ability to be out there and not get hurt no matter where you end up on the defensive end is really important and creating turnovers is huge as well without getting, look, some people can create turnovers and then get burnt 20 plays and get two steals and they think oh, that's great, but he can also stop those 20 plays and generate the turnovers as well, which is something that's not, not everyone can do. Like we know, know Clay Thompson in his past has been an elite defender, but never a high turnover guy. Whereas a guy like Russell Westbrook can be a high turnover guy, but not a guy that necessarily stops a lot of players. Um, same with Rajon Rondo a lot in their career. So yeah, getting a guy that can do both of those things is really really important how high is too high for Dyson Daniels in this draft so I have him um, in the 10 to 14 range on my board the talk of him now is he could go as high as number four 
And I think there are certain fits of teams where, you know, they have that star player, whatever position they play, and they see the playoffs now in the modern NBA and say to themselves, we need a guy that can play off of our star, but still attack closeouts, not just like a standstill three-point shooter, but then, like we've said, the versatility defensively. He's not going to be picked on. Whoever he's switched onto, he's holding up. And so I think teams are really kind of buying into that player right now, and he is that player type. I don't think he's going to go number four, but I would be I would not be shocked if he ends up going top half of the lottery if he goes, you know, top seven. I did a mock draft on Monday. I had him at eight to the Pelicans, as you said, playing off yep. of Ingram, playing off of Zion, playing off of CJ, providing that defensive ability. I could also see him going at seven, yeah, playing off of Damian Lillard as that defensive guy who they've just never had there. Um, maybe he goes at maybe he goes at five and plays off of Cade Cunningham and is a really good defensive backcourt and a guy that doesn't handle the ball all the time that can provide all that value. I don't think that would be insane. Would you? We talked about how you're lower than consensus on Keegan Murray. Would you have? Would you pick Daniels ahead of Murray or is that team dependent? I have them like back-to-back -back on my board. It's like same tier. So uh, I don't have a huge difference. 11 and 13 on my board, almost team dependent, situation dependent. When they're that close to me, it's like kind of where they end up and how some of the development goes that at this point, it's really hard to foresee or predict. Um, yeah, I, that's a tough call. Depends on the, the situation. Last guy we're going to talk about is Patrick Baldwin Jr., a 19-year-old 6'9", 6'10", forward from Milwaukee, who, again really focusing a lot on wings and these these players who have got that wing size who can play out there. But his numbers weren't particularly impressive. 27% shooting from three. He averaged uh, only 12 points per game. It's not like he put up gigantic defensive numbers. Um, his free throw numbers are okay, but he didn't get to the line a ton. He took a lot of threes. They just didn't go in. Um, yeah, is Baldwin, is some of that shooting stuff, which was horrendous, 34% overall field goal percentage is just horrifically bad. His true shooting was 45%. That, look, that has to obviously improve. Otherwise, he's going to end up as Kevin Knox. He needs to improve those numbers, but is there enough there with him where you go, I give him a pass, I'd like to take a flyer, the size is there. What can we see out of him? So I'm on the higher end of the range with him now, but he's one of the biggest ranges you'll see. Some people say not worth a first round pick based off what we saw last year. That's understandable. Uh, one stat on that is he would join. Um, so there's only been two guys ever drafted that have been picked after a college season in which they had a BPM below zero. And that was Zaire Williams and BJ Boston last year. And uh, that would be the case with Pat Baldwin last year. That's kind of just to put in perspective how ineffective he was in his lone season. Uh, he and Zaire Williams are not the same player, but I do see similarities in their circumstance. Very good high school players, underwhelmed, but they kind of have a similar skill set on the wing where some a little bit of a ball skill on the perimeter and, and can shoot it with really good size. So I'm wondering if, you know, if he gets into workouts, they see how big he is and he shoots the lights out. Could he end up being a little bit of a late riser? I don't know, but I, like I buy into the size plus the shooting. Like the shooting, it was not good this past year. Uh, he did play through injury, which is good to see. But, you know, if you look at just like the first half of the season, first few games, 
granted, none of it was great, but he did play better early on in the season before the injury hit. And so there's still enough there. And to put in perspective, because uh, he had one of the all-time like ultimate mixed bag combine appearances and performances where uh, he had one of the worst vertical leaps ever. It was like on par with the most plodding of bigs. Like uh, I think it was like only Dakari Johnson and a few other guys had worse leaping scores than he did. But at the same time, he measured... 610 with a nine two and a half standing reach and to put that in perspective that standing reach is the same as guys like centers in the nba like kai jones jackson hayes uh another guy in this class like kofi coburn so he's like the legit size of the average center in the nba and i believe in the shooting so i don't see him as like a switchy wing but more of like a tall four that can gun it like, think more of, like, a Michael Porter Jr. would be, like, a really, really good outcome for him. His last five games of the season, as you, you reference how he struggled towards the end, six points, two points, 13 points, five points, and eight points. And I think he was three of 24 from three across those five games. So just <laughs> everything went wrong across the end of his season. Whereas he had a game where he hit six threes in December the, December the 4th, and he had um, you know, another yep. two of five game, the game before that against Bowling Green. He had a two of seven game. So like not as horrific as where he hit three threes total across his final yeah. five games with a bunch of misses in there. So, yeah, I had him at 23, just again, that size and that potential pedigree and just getting a guy that maybe be able to, you know, write off. It's only 11 game sample as well in college. It's not like he played 30, 35 games and he was horrendous through all of that. He could have gone out and shot 34% for the next 20 games if he had have stayed healthy. And then we would have had a completely different thought on where Baldwin sat heading into this draft. Sam? That'll do it for us here today. Tell everybody, A, where they find you on Twitter and the work that you're doing here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah, you can follow me at Draft Dummies. We're less than a month till the draft, so it's all full steam ahead for us that follow the draft uh, all year round. So I post a lot of stats, my thoughts, a lot of clips there, and links to any work. I'm part of the team that does uh, the NBA Big Board podcast. Like I hinted at earlier, just did an interview with the G League Ignite head coach. So if you want a little background behind the scenes info into some of the G League Ignite prospects coming out, uh, that was a really fun interview. But we're doing podcast every day focused on the draft. We do it year round, but everything's really geared up over this last month as we prep for the draft. Go and follow Sam there. And of course, subscribe to the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. Sam, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And that will do it for us today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you are here on YouTube, drop a comment down below. Let me know that you're here. Let me know what you thought about these prospects, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.